Thank you, Brother Jake, and welcome to everybody here. I know that there's a couple of families who are sick today. There's something going around, so they stayed home. We pray that they get better. Okay, today we are finishing chapter 15 of the Book of Romans. I think I mentioned that last time that we're wrapping it up. Well, today we're actually wrapping up chapter 15. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word of today's main text. It is in Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 30 through the end of that chapter, which is verse 33. The word of the Lord without error and without and with absolute authority reads as follows. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Heavenly Father, you are the Lord of heavens and earth. We thank you for your mercy in allowing us to be learning from your word this morning for the treasures of, of your word have been revealed to us, Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit teach us, convicts us, and show us that we need to pray for others and that we need to pray for ourselves as well. Humble us, therefore, Lord, that we may recognize that we have nowhere else to fall upon but on the arms of Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I titled today's sermon, Who Needs Prayer? Now, providentially, I know that a lot of people within our very congregation are in pretty rough situations and need prayer. I didn't plan for this sermon at this time to land in this text, but it did. That's God's providence. Okay. So when we ask this question of who needs prayer, we'll see that in today's text, Paul needed prayer, lots of prayer. And isn't it true that sometimes we could think that those we perceive to be very close to God or be giants of the faith, we often could have the misrepresentation that they are more self-reliant. They really don't need much prayer because, I mean, they're giants of the faith, right? They, they should be good. In other words, if there were to be a Christian that seemingly had superpowers, one could perhaps argue it was Paul. Powerful men of God preaching the gospel, planting churches against all human odds, spreading the gospel. In this sort of view, an uninformed person could wrongfully think that if someone is that close to God and doing God's work, that he or she shouldn't really need much prayer. Hence, we could say, that was the case with Paul. He's, he's good to go. However, as counterintuitive as that may be, as that may be for the average civilian, if you will, Paul is telling us not only here, but consistently throughout his writings, 
that if there was anyone who needed much prayer, it was him. Not only in his own prayers, but also urging others to pray for him. And that is the text before us today. So when we ponder the question, who needs prayer? I mean, if the Apostle Paul needed prayer and he's urging others to pray for him, where does that leave us? Who needs prayer? I do. You do. We not only need to pray individually, but we also need prayer as a church praying for each other. Why? For the Christian? Because we have nowhere else to turn but to God. When we start to think this way, this is the impression, this is the truth that we get from Scripture that should be imprinted in our hearts. We'll list just two verses from the psalm that talk about this. Psalm 17, 6, it says this. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Include your ear to me. Hear my words. So who does the Lord hear? To those that cry out to him. Psalm 102, 17 says, He, that is God, regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. He hears those that are destitute. What does that mean? The needy, those who have come to the end of themselves. Those who have nothing and nowhere else to turn. We are told that those are the ones that the Lord hears in prayer. So then what can we look at the main point that Paul is driving home today in this text? It is the following. Prayer is imperative in the life of a Christian. If we are to grow in our faith, if we are to be relying on our faith, it needs to consist of consistent prayer due to that faith that we proclaim. That includes in any of our circumstances. That includes in any of our plans. Because remember, the context of this, as we will see, Paul is making plans to visit the church in Rome. And he's telling them to please pray. So we will examine if only a glimpse of Paul's attitude towards prayer that is revealed to us in the text today was essentially is a prayer and a prayer request. The first main header we'll see is Paul's urgency for prayer. There is urgency that Paul is expressing. We'll focus on the first few words of verse 30, which say this. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. We'll stop there. So in our culture, it is often said, if all else fails, pray. If all else fails, pray. Isn't it a shame that we as Christians sometimes adopt this mentality, even if we don't believe it? In fact, isn't the case that you and I both have operated this way. I know God is in control. I can proclaim that. I say I believe that. But first, we have the attitudes. And Lord, I got this one. Hold on. 
let me let me deal with it only to find out that we actually don't have it let us consider the context in which this verse is written paul has just expressed in the previous passage that he has a strong desire to visit the church in rome however he has been hindered from coming to them His desire of going to visit and fellowship with the Church of Rome was Paul earnestly desiring to see them, to fellowship. However, his primary calling was to go and break ground to share the gospel to places that had been previously unreached, specifically to the Gentile regions, regions of the area. If you recall, one of the applications that we spoke about last week is that we ought to be aware of what our primary calling in life is during this season, right? It may change. If our desires are aligned with God's will, he very well be very gracious to grant the desires of our minds and of our hearts. In the case of Paul, it was not a sin that he wanted to go visit the church in Rome. It is honorable that he wants to fellowship and encourage the saints at Rome in person. That is a noble request, desire. When we think about our calling, just to recap one of the points from last week, we are called to first be faithful with what God has put in front of us that may or may not align with our desires. What is our calling? That could be at home. That could be as husbands to provide, to protect, to teach, for children to be raised in the admonition of God, for us parents, for us that have families, this could be as the primary calling. And especially for men, it is to be holy, to be in submission to God, to Christ, to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. And from there flows whoever is under our care. So in this text, Paul has expressed that he now will have some time to finally come visit the people of Rome. And he's asking that such desire may be granted to him. Now in that first verse, in verse 30, when he says, I appeal to you, brothers, the word they're used for, I appeal. This means he is urging them. He is pleading with them, an earnest plea for a call to action. And what is he begging the people of Rome to do for him? To pray. Paul says, brethren, I need prayer. Please pray for me. This is very different than the notion we may have about Paul. Well, he had it all together. He's like basically in personal physical communion with Jesus. I mean, Jesus appeared to him, so he should be good. Paul says, brothers, I need prayer. Please pray for me. This is not a casual, hey, brother, you know, as you have time, can you please pray for me? No, this is, brother, please pray for me right now. My life depends on it. This is the type of urgency that Paul is expressing. Or sometimes there's a casual attitude of us to tell someone, okay, yeah, I'll pray for that, brother. And many times we don't even pray for them. 
one of my antidotes to this is if somebody if somebody asks for prayer, most often I want to pray right there and then. Then later, if I can, sure, but at least let's just pray right there. It's a way in which God can keep us accountable to pray for someone. Now, let us consider this. As we speak, as we ask, ask ourselves and we speak to others, this question of the sermon, who needs prayer? It is clear then that Paul is letting his readers know in very explicit terms that he needs prayer. He's imploring them to pray for him. What can we learn from Paul's plea asking the saints to pray for him? One thing we can see is that asking for prayer requires acknowledgement that one is not in control. Paul had a mission and he had been faithful with that mission. Paul had a desire and he wanted to go see the people at Rome. But he knew that he was not in control. Even when he was being obedient, he knew that he was not in control. So being dependent on prayer is the recognition that I am not in control. My brother, my sister, you are not in control. 1 Chronicles 29 verses 11 and 12 says this. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. That's the difference between the creature and the creator. God is sovereign. He is, he is in control of absolutely everything that goes on in Paul's life at the time and in our life today. Recognition then of that fact that God is sovereign over every situation is perhaps the first step into giving us peace when we seek God in prayer. Something else that asking for prayer, genuinely asking for prayer, is that it requires humility. This is the case when we approach God as people of God, as, as a church to pray. We humble ourselves, knowing that we are needy people. When we approach God, representing our community, our state, our nation, it requires humility. This famous verse, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This can have a manifold of applications, but for our text today, how does this relate? Well, in admitting humility and asking for prayer and asking for God's favor, it necessarily requires the recognition of our sin and of our need to repent. Where it says to turn from our wicked ways in that verse here. 
When we come to, before God in prayer, then make no mistake, my brothers and sisters, we do not come to God primarily as victims asking him for justice. This is the wrong approach to prayer. Now, granted, we may be in a situation where we are suffering as a result of someone else. Yes, that is possible. But even then, we do not come to God as victims asking him for justice. Because if God gives justice, we will get his wrath. We come to God then as debtors, not as creditors. God has no creditors. We need repentance. And we should be thankful that we are still alive and breathing and moving. Because even that we don't deserve. That ought to be our character, our approach as we come before God in prayer. James 4.10 says this. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So then our call today under this first header is the Apostle Paul needed prayer. What does that mean for me if he needed prayer urgently? That means I'm more than needed. This should take us into the understanding that we must humble ourselves to the reality that we are not in control. And that we are dependent on a God who is merciful. Second main header, we're going to take a quick look at Paul's mode of prayer and the reason for his prayer and his prayer request. So now let's read from 30 to 32. It says this, I appeal to you, brothers. Let's kind of cover that now. By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. We'll pause there and then we'll pick it up again in a bit. After realizing the urgency with which Paul asks for prayer, let us consider how Paul expresses the mode of his prayer. First, he says, by our Lord Jesus Christ, that is through Christ, because of Christ, with Christ, because of what Christ has done, it is that we are heard. It is on the merits of Christ, on his perfection, that we can come boldly before the throne of God and be heard. If we do not come through the merits of a perfect mediator, we cannot come to a holy God. We need to understand this when we think about we're coming to God through our only mediator. For there's one God and one mediator and one mediator between us and God. And that is who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why also Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is one mediator through him. This is our mode of prayer. We come through the merits of Christ. John 14, 13 reads like this. It says, this is Jesus speaking. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, this is not a free pass to ask whatever our wicked heart desires and then 
put the tagline in Jesus' name. I'm asking in his name. So now deliver, do it. It's not what this means. Instead, this is a recognition that when our wills align with God's will, he will be gracious and answer us. Now, God's will may not be to answer our prayer that we think he should answer our prayer. But rather, he may desire to mold us and shape us in the way that is going to be best for us in the long run. He will be glorified by answering us however it is he answers us. And we will be made to be at peace when we submit to his answer. Through Christ, by Christ. And then Paul says, by the love of the Spirit. That is, through the love of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, through his love, will draw us to even desire to prayer. Because on our own will, we will not desire to come close to God. And sometimes our cry to God should be, Lord, I don't want to pray. Help me to submit to your will that I would pray. Remember, the Lord Jesus didn't teach his disciples necessarily how to preach. He did teach them how to pray. And he didn't say, if you pray. He says, when you pray, pray this way. In addition, the Holy Spirit is, in fact, what convicts us of sin and calls us to repentance. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, by the love of the Spirit. It is that way that Christians will draw to God in order to pray. And it is also the Holy Spirit that will convict people of sin to draw them to salvation to begin with. That is not the work of the human will. It is God alone that does that. Colossians 1, 7 and 8, read this. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And has made known to us your love in the spirit. There again, the love of the spirit is expressed in the context of a congregation. But someone is making intercession. That is because of the love that the spirit gives his people. So it is through Christ. It is by the love of the spirit. And thirdly, we see that the prayers are to God, to God the Father. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, draws us to Christ, to pray through Christ, it is because of the work of Christ that we are heard when we pray these prayers and we direct them to God the Father. So what is the takeaway there? Our prayers are to take into consideration that we pray to the one true and living God who is a triune God, the Father, the Son, in the Holy Spirit. It is all encompassed there in that verse. While this is a great mystery that we serve a triune God, it is something that we may not fully understand on this side of heaven. However, scriptures makes it clear that the God of the universe has revealed to us to be a triune God. When we approach him in prayer then, this is to be acknowledged. And this, by the way, the fact that we serve the only true God who is a triune God is also seen in salvation. God the Father sends the Son to be born of a virgin, 
to live a perfect life that you and I cannot live, to be put to death for the sins of his people, to be buried, to resurrect, defeating sin and death, so that those who trust in Christ may have eternal life. The Father sends the Son. How do people come to faith in Christ? That is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts the mind and hearts of people to be drawn to God and to be able to understand the things of God. Because otherwise, the scripture tells us that the things of God are foolishness to those that are perishing. If there is one that looks at the scripture as indifferent to what the scripture says or does not understand the things of God, that is foolishness to him or her. Scripture tells us that is because they are perishing. So the Father sends the Son. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin so that we are drawn to God. And there, the spiritual things are no longer foolishness to us. They are the very means by which we live. So a triune God is implicit in that verse, in verse 30. And in his prayer, Paul asks that they should strive together with him. Strive together with him. What does that mean? This is an invitation to contend with him. This is language of fighting, of being in a war with each other. To be in a war fighting against someone, be alongside each other. Prayer is where that battle is really at. When we are praying... It is a battle. It is not, as Ephesians 6 says, it is not against flesh and blood that we fight, but against principalities, against darkness. And it almost seems that in order to win that fight, we often need to be stripped of all else so that we can realize that only Jesus is on our side. And if Jesus is on our side, we can't lose. Even if the outcome of a particular situation is not what we want in our limited knowledge. I have a quote from Del Raff Davis, a Presbyterian pastor and theologian. I don't think I have it in the notes, but I'll read it to you. He says this, quote, sometimes the father may box us in in such a place, such situation in which, one by one, all of our secondary helps and supports are taken away from us. In order that, defenseless, we may lean on his mercy alone. That is, by prayer. Once we see this, we no longer regard prayer as a pious cop-out, but rather as our only rational activity. Isn't this true? It almost seems that when we realize I got nothing else, that we only turn to prayer. And we realize Christ is all we really have. And furthermore, Christ is all that we really need. Now let us consider what is Paul praying for? What is he asking for those that he's writing to to pray for? Verses 31 and 32 say this. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And that by my service for Jerusalem. May be acceptable to the saints. 
so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and with a refreshed and be refreshed in your company. So the first thing Paul wants the saints to pray for is for him to be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. What is the implication? Well, there are those who oppose the gospel. And Paul says, pray that their efforts to hinder the gospel may be stopped. Whether that is imprisonment or physical attacks. Now, mind you, it is interesting that Paul multiple times still ended up being attacked and stoned and almost left for dead and imprisoned. One could say God didn't answer Paul's prayers. However, when we look at that, we realize that God had better plans for Paul than to not be stoned, than to not be jailed. It is, in fact, under those horrible circumstances that Paul wrote letters of the New Testament. He penned those from jail while he was under distress, under abuse. It is under those conditions that Paul wrote letters of the New Testament. God had a purpose for putting him there instead of answering Paul's prayers to deliver them, to deliver him from the unbelievers and the attacks that they would put on him. Now, is there a bad thing to pray, Lord, please deliver me from those that are attacking me? No, we should pray that, especially because Paul wants this gospel to keep spreading. In God's infinite, perfect wisdom, God said, the gospel will be spread. But in order to do that, you need to be beaten and be in jail. See how that works? God's wisdom is not the wisdom of men. We need to remember that as we come to the Lord with a prayer or prayer request to others. The second thing that Paul asked for is that his service to the saints in Judea may be acceptable. What is the implication there? Paul is taking help and aid to the Christians that are in Judea. It is implied that he wants the help he's taking and this tangible help, right? He mentioned that previously. That those goods would be well used and serve the people in Judea. In that they would receive them with gladness and would be able to use those things. It could further imply this, although the text doesn't say this, but we can make an implication that this could also include that Paul is saying, may the saints that are receiving the help be thankful. Because ungratefulness to a minister could be a great discouragement. Paul in his ministry is faced with opposition even from believers or false believers. We see that throughout his letters. So he wants the help to be useful and acceptable to the saints at Judea. And then thirdly, Paul asks that he might finally come to visit them at Rome and come with joy for a time of fellowship and refreshing. This is at the end of Paul's prayer. Note, this is what Paul most desired. He wants to go visit them. In Paul's very own desire to visit them, 
is the last part of his prayer. First, he prays for the matters that directly have to do with the spreading of the gospel. That is, that unbelievers don't hinder him. And that Christians may be edified by his help. Then and only then, he asks for his personal desire to visit Rome. My brothers and sisters, when we examine our prayers and we see what scripture says of the prayers of scripture, specifically the prayers of Paul, we will often find a common denominator. Almost never do we encounter prayers that strictly ask for God to change a personal situation. That's just a fact that is rare in scripture. Are they there? Yeah, they're there. But it's often not the case. In fact, the person of Paul, the common denominator is this. A desire for him that the gospel keeps propagating. That the saints would grow in wisdom and in understanding of the gospel and of Christ. And for the churches to be wise in their behavior, in obeying God's word, in rebuking false teachers. And for the church, that is for us, to be obedient to God's word. The main bulk then of the prayers of Paul is gospel spreading, Christian growth, wisdom and obedience within the church, both for the leaders and the congregants. The one time that Paul directly asked Jesus to deliver him from a personal thorn in the flesh. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. That's really tough, my brothers and sisters. If the Lord said that to Paul, I could say that the Lord Jesus has been more full of grace to me than Paul. Because it seems that I, I have it much better than Paul did. And I would dare say, I would dare dare to say that all of us here have it better than Paul, given the circumstance. The third header, Paul's assurance of peace in prayer. Romans 15, 33 says this. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. There is often an aspect of prayer that is misunderstood. My brothers and sisters, when you realize this, God does not need your prayers. Rather, we need to pray. Ultimately, prayer is a way in which the Christian is pruned and shaped more and more into the image of Christ. Jesus came in his first advent into this world to suffer to the point of death for the sins of his elect. In that, Jesus was at peace. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says this. Who are we to look to? It says, look to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father to drink the cup, the wrath, the wrath of God, which was the subject of our Sunday school today. Pain for the sins of his people this is what Jesus came to do. And Jesus, 
knew that he was doing that. He was at peace with it. We saw how he had expressed distress in his humanity in the Garden of Gethsemane and his prayer. But nevertheless, Jesus knew what he came for. And it says here in that second verse of Hebrews 12, that he, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. As we think about these things, we see that God has never asked us to do something that Jesus didn't do. So what is the takeaway there? When we pray with a heart that is full of submission to whatever God has for us, we will be at peace. We serve a God of peace. God may not give us what we want when we want it, but God will give us peace. And Jesus invites us to enter his rest by trusting and submitting to his will for our lives. There's been a few times in my life where I've been in earnest prayer about particular situations. And I remember one instance specifically where I was pleading to the Lord in prayer. And one of those early mornings as I was praying, the Lord didn't speak to me audibly or nothing like that. But the conviction fell on me with the question of the Lord saying, what if I don't grant you what you're asking? And it was really difficult for me to submit to the fact that God may not give me what I'm asking for so earnestly, so urgently. But what I was able to obtain is the assurance in prayer that God would give me peace regardless of the outcome. So let us recap. What have we learned from today's text from this prayer of Paul? And his prayer request. Number one. Paul was showing urgency. What is your urgency? We all have at least one major urgency. Health, finances, relationships, etc. We have this urgency which may lead to worry, anxiety, being afraid, despair perhaps. This urgency, my brothers and sisters must direct us first and foremost to our knees to pray. Now, perhaps your urgency is that you have no urgency at all. You can't think of nothing. This is the mind of many in our culture who are immersed in the therapeutic sea of social media and entertainment, which make you numb and dumb. And that is really being brainwashed to think about those things that don't really matter. Like how many likes am I going to get if I post this on Facebook or Instagram? Those things make us numb and dumb. Let us not be someone who doesn't have urgency. We all ought to have urgency of something. And with that, our urgency should be to fall on our knees and pray for that. 
There's nothing wrong with having urgency. But we must funnel that to take it to God in prayer. Secondly, I kind of alluded to this earlier just now. What if your prayer is not answered the way that you want it to be answered? I mentioned the example of Paul. He prayed that the unbelievers wouldn't hinder him. That would be by stoning or being put in jail. And the case could be made that God didn't grant him that because Paul was, and again and again, beaten, left for dead, stoned, put in jail. So when we ask, like, what if my prayer is not answered? What we should really say is what we really mean is, what if God does not answer my prayer the way, the way that I think is best? That's what we're really saying. In other words, I know better than God. God, why aren't you doing what I'm asking you to do? My brother and sister, you are not wiser than God. God will work out all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Our call is to be sanctified by being tested and leaning in with our faith toward Christ and not be fooled by the idea or the temptation to think, well, you just don't have enough faith. That's why God is not answering. This is what striving and struggling in prayer implies. So as we pray and we think that our prayers are not being answered the way we think is best, let us repent of that. Because what we're really telling God is, Lord, I know better than you. Why aren't you doing what I want? Don't waste your trial, my brother, my sister, if you think your prayers are not being answered. Submit to God's will and cry out to him that he may give you strength. And he will. And then lastly, I often ask this. Okay, so we're talking about prayer. We must submit to God what his will is for us. And somebody could say, so what? How, how does this relate to me? Why should I pray? How's that going to help me? I mean, I got real problems here. Joseph Scriven has a good quote for this that says this. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Unquote. My brother and my sister, are you in need? Are you in affliction? Are you in a battle? And you may think, that's what I really need to focus on. How am I going to deal with this? Prayer is not going to do anything. Well, can you change your own heart from self-will? Can you force yourself to act godly if you just try hard enough? The answer is no. Our hearts are wicked, desperately wicked. Who knows them? God does. So who can change us? Who can change your heart? God can. And he will. So pray. And then how does this affect me? Why should I care? Well, you can change your heart. Can you change someone else's heart and mind? No, you cannot. Now, does anyone have the power to change someone's heart and mind? 
Yes, God does. So pray to him. And then what if things don't change? Well, can you give yourself peace just by forcing yourself to have a, a good attitude and positive vibes and what the world talks about? No, you cannot. In fact, if you pray for what you think is best and God's, God ends up willing something different for your life, you may actually misunderstand that and just go into despair. So we cannot change the way we feel about our situations and seek our own inner peace or seek a way which we think will give us peace by turning to vices or comforts or what have you. Who has the power then to give you peace regardless of circumstance? God does. So pray. So it has everything to do with you. Either go in supplication before God that he will show you mercy to change circumstances. And maybe he will, because God is so gracious that he will. Or he will change your heart, your mind, to give you peace, regardless of whatever's at hand. Only God can do that. We should not forget that prayer goes beyond praying for ourselves, right? That's the other aspect of this. But also praying for others. It is not only about asking God to deliver us in time of need. Yes, that's very important and we should. But it's also for God to accomplish his will in spreading his gospel. That he may be glorified and that Christians may have joy as we do what he asks us to do. Given the topic of today's sermon, we are going to have some time of silent prayer right now to reflect how we're doing with these things. In this silent prayer that we're going to do right now, I want all of us to either give a thanks of uh, a prayer of thanksgiving, of adoration, of confession, of supplication. And then I will close with a pastoral prayer. So we'll do that now. Let us pray. A silent prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for you are mighty, for you are powerful, even to change our own hearts and the hearts of others. We pray, Lord, that you make us a people that constantly seeks you in prayer, being strengthened and filled by your Holy Spirit, for we are weak, Lord. Oh, Lord, draw us near to you. And give us the peace that only you can give as we draw to you in prayer. That we may enter the rest that Christ promises for us. That we may enter your peace. For as Paul says in this past portion of the text today, you are the God of peace. Oh Lord, be with us and give us that peace in our minds and in our hearts this very day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.